we're going to be in Acts chapter 21, but only for like three verses, and then we're getting out of it. And then we're going to go to Acts chapter 22, all the way to verse 21, by the grace of God. Before we really get into it, would you guys pray with me? We're just going to dedicate the time once again to the Lord. And so, Jesus, we come to you so thankful that we have an entrance. There's no wall and no veil that keeps us from your presence any longer. We worship you. We thank you, Father, for how you have made a way for us, people who were in rebellion against you, fighting against you, living our own way. And yet now, Lord, you have redeemed us. That you've demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And we got to wake up this morning wholly blameless and above reproach in your sight because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for how sweet it is to gather with hundreds of people and worship to you, like sing songs and set our mind on you. And, and then so now it's like, well, we want to set our mind on you again. We want to hang out with you, Lord, together as a community of believers, a family, and consider your word. We would ask that you would help us to be doers of your word and not hearers or considerers only, but that we would just engage with you. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. We submit to you. We submit to the authority of your word and ask that you would have your way. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm really thankful that the veil's been torn. If it hadn't been torn, what I just did would have been meaningless. Like, but we connected with the Lord, and this morning you guys were worshiping, and like we hung out with the Lord together. Hundreds of us this morning. I think that's pretty cool. This morning got to hang out with the Lord. He met with me this morning. And he probably met with many of you, you know. He's so good and so faithful. That's because Jesus went to the cross. He died. He took our sin upon him. He rose again. He defeated death, conquered it all. He sits now at the right hand of God the Father and makes intercession on our behalf. All of this is really good news. New, the kind of news that you would give your life for. That's what we're going to kind of see here, or at least get beat up for. Paul's going to do that. For us, it might be the kind of news we engage with an awkward conversation, or we take a step of faith where a person, we engage with them, you know. And so, ah, the word of God, though, here we are. We're going to start in verse 37. If you haven't been here, where we've been is Paul went to the temple. You can toss that picture up here if you don't mind. Thank you very much. Jessica, I appreciate that. That's the temple. It's not the real one. It's just a model. Don't worry. And they're hanging out there. Paul's going there because he was taking a group of Jews to offer some, an offering to fulfill a vowel. If you might remember, Paul and the Jewish Christians were having some issues. And they had heard that Paul said, stop doing anything as it relates to the law. Stop circumcising your kids. Forsake it all. Uh, it was a misrepresentation of what Paul actually had said. Uh, Paul did have some beef with the law. That's a funny, stupid pastor joke that I should have thought about before. Uh, he did have some issues with people thinking that if they continued in the law, that's what made them righteous. He said that's not true. Righteousness no longer comes from the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's an important detail of the gospel, important theology you can't get wrong. He also heard that, was saying that you don't have to circumcise your kids. It's not necessary. Be circumcised, awesome. Don't be circumcised, awesome. It doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. That was his message. It had been twisted and, and you know, all those things. And so Paul was now trying to mend the relationships between Jewish Christians and himself. He goes to the temple. Now remember, for months, 
Paul has been anticipating going to Jerusalem, knowing every place he went, remember what the Holy Spirit say, trials and tribulations await you. In fact, you're going to be bound when you get there. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing by crying? He said, don't you know I'm willing not only to be bound, but to die for the name of Jesus? Here he is. Last week, he got whooped. Minutes, I don't know how long, but remember we talked about how from the fortress Antonio that's on the right, top right hand, that little four-corner fortress that Rome built just to say, hey, ha-ha, we're seeing you. They ran around and ran into it. They shut the doors to the temple. The ones that went in, the, 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 the ladies you couldn't go into, like they shut those doors. There's some stairs there. They're getting ready to take him back. They're, they're saying away with him, which was, not a nice, which was not a nice thing to say. That's They were saying, well, we'll see here next week, actually. That gets us to 37. As Paul was about to be led back to the barracks, so where are they? They're right there by the main temple part. There's this beautiful gate. Well, they called it the gate beautiful. Where Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Hey, he said to the commander, we're going to find out his name is Claudius Lysias, may I speak to you? And that's, how, that's what you would do. If you were talking to a guy who was in charge of this particular area of the Roman provinces and areas, can I speak to you? You don't just go into it. This guy had a lot of power. Paul respected that power. Can I speak to you? And this guy responds to him, can you speak Greek? He says, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? Can you imagine being mistaken of that guy? You're like, no, man, that is not me, I promise you. And he goes, I- I'm just this guy from, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. Not a mean city. That means, that, that means like, uh, he's not saying that we weren't nice, like, they were nice. It's not an average city. Like, it's a big city. And I'll get to it in a second. He says, I implore you. I'm begging, please let me speak to the people. <laughs> oh, my goodness, you guys. And you'll find out why he begged him to do this. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioning with his hands to the people. There was a great silence. He spoke to them in Hebrews, saying, and we'll pause there, and you recognize why this is kind of an annoying chapter break. There was a, a big problem that Paul had gotten himself into. Go to that next picture, if you don't mind, please. You'll see here as we zoom, kind of zoom into it. You can, oh, yeah, it's so much bigger than on the TV. The balustrade, the fence with inscriptions. That was this fence that we talked about last week that, that separated the Gentile from the Jews. If a Gentile were to cross this barricade, they were in trouble. Throw the next uh, one up there, if you don't mind. This, the, this is an inscription that was found from what I've read, in a Muslim mosque for whatever reason. And it is believed to have been dated back to the first century um, AD. Meaning, as best I could tell, like Paul would have seen that sign. He would have looked at it. How cool is that? That very sign. It was absolutely prohibited for Gentiles to go beyond the designated court of the Gentiles in the temple grounds. Signs were posted which read, and there were Greek signs, that's what you're looking at now, and there were Latin signs. No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing, listen to this, will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. (laughs) Okay. So sensitive was Rome to this that they actually allowed the Jews to kill anybody who went beyond that spot, even if they were Roman. That's what I've read at least, okay? We have in Ephesians, I know we did this last week, but I've got to cover it once again and just dive in just a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18 in particular, but specifically verse 14, it says, for he himself, and that's Jesus, 
he himself has become our peace. And he's broken down the middle wall of separation. Well, what wall is he talking about? That exact wall, right, that we just were referring to, that kept Gentiles and Jews from worshiping together. As a Gentile, I couldn't have ever gone beyond that wall. I was kept away from the presence of God. And if I crossed over that, I was put to death. But as you know, Jesus was put to death on my behalf. And that wall was broken and a veil was torn. And guess what? We got to worship this morning. We got to sing songs of praise. In fact, right now, the Holy Spirit is here in this place. Because you guys are here. Isn't that fun? Jesus has done this. What a cool work. I'll worship him for that for sure. <laughs> you know? And so as he breaks down this middle wall of separation, he brings two people together, Jews and Gentiles. The greatest of separation. You might recall back in Acts chapter 10 when we were going through when Cornelius got saved and all the Gentiles, remember that? We were talking about how Jews thought about Gentiles. And there were particular Jewish writings, the Talmud and the Mishnah, two different places that referred to Gentiles. Like kind of the questions asked, why are there Gentiles? The answer is, there are fuel for the fires of hell. Like that's why we exist. We were made, for those of us who are Gentile, that's me, and there's some Jewish heritage in here. But for me, I was born to burn in hell. That's why I existed. That was a thought that you had if you were Jew. It moves on. It goes even further that if, they, if there was a, a Gentile woman who was pregnant, you were not allowed to help her. You could not help or assist in bringing a Gentile into the world. So they had some serious animosity, and that's why it was so important that God opened the door to the Gentiles. I'm praising God for that right now. But there is no more distinction. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's one person in Christ. Jesus unites us in such a powerful way, and I love that so much. Any of those prejudices or biases, like in Christ, they become insignificant. And I, I'm so thankful for that. And so, like, I want to hide myself in him. It's important to recognize, man, Jesus has done such a work. Paul's in trouble because people didn't get it. They still thought there was a separation. They still thought the wall was up and the veil was good. They were so mistaken. It's like, man, understanding the gospel changes everything. Knowing Christ, man, changes everything. You guys know that. You're awesome. So he begins to speak to them. We can look at verse chapter 22 now. Yeah, oh, one thing to mention, and I'll probably say this a couple of times, but I'm going to have to hustle up now. When Paul is a, when he's able to speak Greek to the, to the commander, that was important. It was like he had a skill and a talent, and God used it in a really powerful way. And it, 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 like your skills, your talents, I know we've been here so many times, but it's worth reiterating once again, that what God has put into you, whether it's by education, by your upbringing, by the diligence of your own ability, like physical ability, mental ability, your emotional, your ability to connect with people, how God has fashioned you is really important. Now, there's a lot about you and me that's probably really messed up. Like you need the grace of God to come and, and do a work in your heart. You have sin and areas of your life that need to be dealt with. And my encouragement right now is like, well, deal with it. I'm right there with you. But there are also some pretty amazing and incredible gifts and talents and skills that God has given you and that you have access to should you be diligent enough to pursue it. Let him use them for his glory. Whatever it might be, Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship. That's the word poema. You're his poem. Created in Christ Jesus. That's the only hope you'll have is in Christ for good works, that you should walk in them. 
It's for his glory. I was reading this week in Exodus and came across this verse. It's a cool verse. It's Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. And it's God speaking to Moses. He says, so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he might minister to me as a priest. Context here is they needed to build the temple and they needed to make it look real cool and real fancy and nice. And he was going to make clothes and people were like, I don't know how to do this. We just made bricks and babies. That's like all we know how to do is if you And so... They're like, well, I don't know how to do these things. But then God said, I'm going to give you the spirit of wisdom. I'm going to enable you to do some really cool things. And so you have people there who are able to talk to them and let them use their gifts so that people can be ministered to. And that's for you guys. That's a word today, man, where you guys have abilities. And I just want to be like, guys, use it. How do you take advantage of that? Here's how. You would say, God, here's my life. Take me and use me. I'm yours. Having that interaction with God is important. There's certainly going to be areas of your heart and, and, and places of obedience that maybe you're not willing to go yet. Just so we know, that's sinful, okay? Talk to the Lord, let him deal with it. But I also want you to know that the Lord knows that. And he's so good and patient to walk with you where you're at. But surrender to him, man. Yield to him. Use what he's given you for his glory. And then get excited about that. Okay, shifting gears, these assassins... This Egyptian guy, there is extra biblical evidence of this actual event taking place. Fascinating story. We won't go into it all, but you can research it. You can, well, Josephus is the guy who talks about it, believe it or not. He like, is a, he's a great historian, but he has a pretty long section about this exact event that took place where Rome like put them, yeah, he took, they, Rome took care of them. There were like 30,000 of them and they whooped them. But the guy, like, escaped, right? Did you escape? And that's why Paul's like, oh, no, dude, I'm just this Jew from Cilicia, man. I'm not that guy. Trust me. Don't do that. The guys who were doing it were assassins. It's the word Sicari. What they would do is if there was, like, a Roman centurion or a soldier in a crowd or if they were trying to do other things or other people, they would do this. But in large crowds, these guys could hide a dagger in their coat or whatever, and they would pull it out, and they would walk up behind somebody, and they could stab them in the kidney or right this area, and, and they would assassinate people. And so they actually were a fairly, they were a legitimate threat to Rome's control. Like they were worried about him. Another reason why Paul would want to very quickly disassociate himself from that particular group of people. Paul wants to share the gospel, not stab anybody. And so <clears throat> what we're looking though when we get into chapter two, 22 is a convergence of God's calling in Paul's life. One that he had waited for a long time. Okay, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. Brethren and fathers is a very gracious way of addressing a crowd that was pulverizing him. Do not forget that they were beating him up and trying to kill him like five minutes ago. Okay? When they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Hey, can I point out again that God is going to gift you in certain ways that's going to allow people to listen to you? The way you speak, the story that you have, your demeanor and how you carry yourself, how you love them, oh, man, it impacts people. And Paul's going to be sharing a testimony that is perfectly crafted for his audience. It's not canned, right? Nothing wrong, by the way, with having something available, you know, like, yeah, there was a time in my life where I was lost, hated people, but when Jesus became my king, man, he gave me purpose and a love for people I never had before. Like, what was that, 10 seconds? I'm just a quick, do you have a story like that? 
That's good. It's kind of canned. But here Paul has an opportunity to do something he's been waiting to do for a long time. He's actually been waiting to do this for 20 years. We'll find out in verse 17 of, the, of this chapter, or like, well, 16 or so, that he'd been waiting to do this for a long time. And so finally he has an opportunity to craft this and speak his heart to the people whom he said in Romans, man, if I could blot my own name out of the book of life and the nation of Israel be saved, I'd do it. That's how much he loved them. You're going to look at a man whose heart was for Jesus and whose heart was for people. And this is the way it looks. This is what it looks like, right? Okay, he gets to share the greatest news ever. He'd been waiting for about 20 years to do this. How cool is that? Do you have people that you have been praying for a long time and like just waiting for that opportunity to share with them? Waiting for that chance to be able to have, an oppor- or to have a conversation with them. That God would open up that door and you could have that conversation. Maybe you've had that conversation time and time again and it's just not catching, you know, I get it. But imagine what it would be like praying and praying for 20 years. God, I want to see this calling you've put on my life come to fruition. God told Paul about 20 years ago, you will be my witness to the nation of Israel to the Gentiles and to kings. And in 22 and 23, all three of those will converge in a really cool way. But finally, oh man, just imagine if you're Paul, the joy in your heart, I don't know, guys, you just got beat up, but I'm just thinking, the joy in your heart, I finally get to bear this message to the nation of Israel. A little bit more on that in a second. He goes on to say, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. What city is he in? He's in Jerusalem. And he said, I was taught according to the strictness of our fathers. I'm sorry, of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you are all today. He's connecting with them. You guys feel that? He's connecting with them, trying to kind of butter them up a little bit. Paul's citizenship was really important. And he used that. He's going to use his, they call it the civitas, it's the word in the Greek. He's going to use that here in a second in 22 and 23 in a way that's going to save his literal skin. His education, Gamaliel, we're going to talk about Gamaliel, and then just the fact that he was from Tarsus of Cilicia, that would have been a big deal. Tarsus was the capital of Cilicia, a a large region there in the Roman Empire. And in 67 BC, it became that. In 42, though, listen to this, this is really important. Uh, Tarsus was considered and declared a, like a Roman city. So if you were born in Tarsus, you were a Roman citizen, just like if you had been born in, in Italy. Well, that's going to come into play in a really special way, isn't it? And wouldn't you know, but Paul would be born in Tarsus. And you guys, check this out. There would have been a path where God would have led like Paul's great-grandfather to go and be in Tarsus or who, however it worked, just the sovereignty of God ministering through all of these circumstances, this is a divine thing. You don't get to choose where you're born, do you? You don't get to choose to whom you're born. Those are things that God decides. And you see how he's going to use it here. Oh, man, Jessica, you're on it. No, go back to that. I was just getting ready to talk about it. You're way ahead of me. Way to go. I'm so thankful for you. That is the, like, oh, they call it Cleopatra's Gate. Paul would have walked through it back in the day. They've, they, you know, they've had to like rebuild it time and, time and again, but uh, I don't know. It's just a picture of Tarsus. There you go. That's why I have that. If you lived in Tarsus under Augustus's reign, you didn't have to pay taxes. That's pretty cool. Okay, Gamaliel. That's another thing that's important. And this is, I know this might, we're like 
going to kind of slow through this. Don't worry about it. We'll get done. Gamaliel, we've talked about him before. He was the grandson, because I know you guys are up on famous rabbis in the Jewish world. But he was the grandson of the great Rabbi Hallel, which does mean something. And this audience, that meant something to them. And so Gamaliel, though, this is what is written in the Talmud. When Rabbi Gamaliel the elder died, regard for the Torah, which is the Jewish law, ceased. And purity and piety died when he died. He was held in that kind of regard that he was written about years later like that. Well, Paul was one of Gamaliel's greatest students. He sat underneath that. Remember how your citizenship, you can use that to your advantage. God will use that. Your position, education, whatever else it might be in life, God uses these things. Where Paul was from, God used that in a powerful way. Who he learned from, God got to use it. For what, man? For the audience that was in front of him. For the very time and like right here, God got to use all these things for his glory. What what has God sown into you, man? Use it. Now this next section, Paul's going to offer an admission of his own guilt. And I want you guys to be encouraged by like the lessons we can learn here. Notice what he says in verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He went to Damascus to capture Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And there were people in the audience right then when he was talking that he could have looked at and said, you guys gave me permission to go do these things. I mean, imagine what this would have felt like and what it would have been like for Paul to look over there and be like, y'all remember that? You guys, you were there. I did this. He's rehearsed this for 20 years. And you're going to find out how we know that here in a second. He says, now it happened as I journeyed. He's getting ready to have an incredible encounter with Jesus. It's going to change everything. But this, <coughs> excuse me, this admission of guilt and his zeal for God, being open and honest is really important and is going to set the stage for them to identify with him. Okay, Like, he could have glossed over it, but when he admits his own failures and he is open and real about the sin in his life, like, this is important stuff, he gets to be a trophy of God's grace in a really powerful way. We certainly are tempted and have a tendency to hide our sin, to not let people know about it. We don't want to be ashamed. We don't want people to know maybe who we really are or that we struggle with this, or that we struggle with that, and it's real, I get it. But we desperately need people in our lives to whom we can talk to, confess and share. But listen, even more importantly than that, is that we make, we do this between us and the Lord. If we confess our sins, did you know that he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness? Isn't that awesome? And he'll cleanse you. That's good. I appreciate that, Lord. That's why we go to the Lord, right? But he also gives us, (laughs) he gives us people here, men in this church that I'm accountable to. My wife is not a man, (laughs) but she's another part of that that I am held accountable to. Where I get to confess sin and, and deal with issues in my life. 
If you don't have it, let me tell you this, you're missing out. As a man, you are desperate for it. But we want to hide, don't we? I do. I would love to hide. Bringing things out in the light of Christ causes it to die. That sin that I want to hide, bring it out. In wisdom, right, there are certain people we got to be really careful with. You don't want to just, hey, unless the Lord moves you that way. It could be a powerful moment in the life of a church. But I want to encourage you, if you have things, like we're just watching Paul. The text kind of just allows us to just pause for a second and do this. Deal with it. And if you've done it between you and the Lord, let me encourage you that the Lord will lead you to somebody. You can say, this is where I'm at. This is my struggle. This is my deal. I need help. And like, let God minister to you through his people. I believe, and I really genuinely believe this, that we are a church and have been a church that genuinely loves people. And if you need help, we've got it for you. Because we're going to point you to Jesus, the only one that you can get help from. And I want you to know that you're going to get ministered to by people who are real and struggle and battle and fight. I can promise you I've not arrived anywhere. I need Jesus every day. <laughs> Repentance. In your Bibles, really fast, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 6. We'll start in verse 9 and read some fun scripture for nowadays. This is what everybody loves to tweet and talk about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, sorry, chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's an important thing to keep in mind. I need a righteousness that's not my own. Guess what? Jesus gives it to you. That's why you need him. Uh, come on, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, or extortioners, none of them are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But check it out, verse 11. And such were some of you. He was writing this to the Corinthian church years before the moment we're at in Acts. Such were some of you. But you were washed, praise the Lord, by the blood of Jesus. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's good news, you guys. That's what's happened to us and to be able to be open and honest about where we've been and where we are, like, is important. I want to point this out. Maybe it can get confusing. Sin is serious. We've dealt with this and, and been there as a body of Christ many times. Sin is serious. It's offensive to God. I want you to know that you need to deal with it. But I also want you to know that you have a God who wants to deal with it and loves you all the way through meaning you don't have to be ashamed. He already knows, right? Open yourself up, man. Just be there and say, God, here I am. I need help. And let that word go on in your heart first. Let him change you and let him melt you with his love, softening you to where you'll just say whatever it takes. Isaiah 63, this is Jesus really speaking to the nation of Israel, especially there, well, in the New Testament. The ministry of the Lord to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, this great exchange that takes place, oil of joy for mourning. He takes my ashes and gives me beauty. He takes my mourning, like crying, not, and gives me joy. That's what Jesus does. He takes my spirit of heaviness 
and gives me a garment of praise. That's what Jesus does for us. That's why you need him. No one else gives you a deal like that. Only the Lord, man. So cry out to him even this morning, like cry out to him. We're going to get baptisms. Somebody in here gets saved and get baptized today, right? Being open, being honest allows people to identify with you. It's important. Keep that in mind as we go through this. Okay, I do need to hurry up. All right, you guys with me? As it happened, verse 6, I journeyed and I came near Damascus. And about noon, suddenly a great light shone all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's worth pausing for just a moment and saying this. Paul was uh, persecuting the way to the death. The way, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They called it the way. I am persecuting the way to the death. And I'm binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Persecution was taking place to the church. But Jesus said what? Why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting Stephen? Why are you persecuting my, my, those people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Here's why. You guys know the answer. We are the body of Christ. When you hurt, he feels it. When you're struggling, he's right there, man. He knows. I love that, man. He's a, he's a God who is imminent. He's right here, right now. He is not distant and far off, but he's close. And he knows you, and he loves you, and he desires that relationship with you. <clears throat> Why are you persecuting me, Jesus says. I think that's the coolest thing. Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Those guys who were with me, they couldn't hear anything, he says. What am I supposed to do? That's, that's the best response. Jesus says, here I am. Paul's like, I believe. He sees the risen Lord. What am I supposed to do? Go to Damascus, I'll tell you. Up to this point, nobody had really, oh, I don't know, no, nobody had objected to what Paul's saying. What did Paul say? Paul is sharing a testimony that he had a vision or an encounter with the risen Jesus. Nobody said, no, he's in the grave, y'all. No, nobody said anything like that. They were cool with that up till now. Keep in mind that, that Christianity had been in Jerusalem for 20-some years already. It was strong and growing. They didn't have a problem with that. They're going to lose their minds in verse 21. But they, are, they haven't lost it yet. And so uh, here they are. They're listening. This encounter with Jesus changed everything in Paul's life. Do you remember that moment you had an encounter with Jesus? And it changed everything. I remember it. I was laying in my bed. I surrendered my life to Jesus. I woke up the next day a different dude. Totally different. <clears throat> Nothing has been the same since. But I know that there have been times in my life where I've forgotten the, the beautiful and great salvation that I have experienced. In Psalm 51, David cries out and says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you guys remember when you were saved? Do you remember the incredible feeling it was to have been liberated, a new creation? That you were no longer bondage to sin, that you were forgiven Oh, and you had purpose in life now. Like you get fired up about it and you're zealous towards the things of the Lord. And then as time progresses, you kind of sit in and you ease and you settle. And this morning, I don't know, maybe this could be a time where you could just cry out and say, God, stir me up again. Restore to me that joy, that excitement I used to have towards you and me just sharing things with this person or sharing things with that person or the joy and the spirit of God just bubbling out and over. Well, I've like restrained it now and I'm just more mature. No, stop all that. Let the Lord use you and, and an overflow from your love for him and a relationship with him. My goodness, would you guys just get fired up for him? I'm with you though. I want it. 
I need it. And I'm not talking about an emotional thing. Like this is just like where I say, Jesus, I want to know you more and be used by you. And so stir me up, right? We've been praying, God, stir us up. I need it. You need it. Some people have like mind-blowing encounters with Jesus. Some of you are more progressive in that. You were raised up in the church. You know that it's true, but it hasn't become yours yet. And that moment when it did become yours, you were different. There has to become a moment in time where you surrender your life to Jesus. James is a good example of that, the brother of Jesus. He saw the risen Savior after he knew all these things, but then he saw Jesus risen and alive, and it was over after that. Right? He's fallen after him. <clears throat> there, okay, verses 11 through 16, Paul's going to share <clears throat> about his in interaction with Ananias. <clears throat> Paul had about four, maybe five times that we read about that he had uh, visions or interactions with Jesus. These would have been defining moments. Ananias came to him, and he's just sharing about him. I'm going to kind of skim through it. God has chosen you. Look at verse 16. Three things to know his will. See the just one to hear his voice. You will be his witness, verse 15, of all, uh, to all men what you have seen and heard. He says, what are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. And notice what he says. And wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We're going to do that here in a little bit. We're going to be baptizing. But notice what he says, man. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul would have cried out, and the Lord would have done a work right there and then. Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. We're reading about that right now. Uh, he saw Jesus in Jerusalem. We're going to read that here in a moment. He saw Jesus when he got stoned in Lystra, back in Acts 14. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Cool stuff. Read about it. Don't have time right now. And at the end of his life, Jesus appeared to Paul in a really powerful way. Paul said, the Lord stood with me. Everybody else had forsaken me, but the Lord stood with me. These were defining moments that changed the trajectory of his life. And I'm like, oh, Lord, would you do that in our lives today? That we would have these encounters with you. It's a relationship. It's nothing fancy. It's just knowing him and positioning yourself, being in the word, being in prayer and fellowship, surrounding yourself with community of people who actually genuinely love Jesus. You have that. It's here. Paul has a call to action, a calling on his life. Look at verse 17. It happened while I returned to Jerusalem. So Paul was in Damascus. He gets saved. He goes now down to Jerusalem. He was supposed to have a, a company of people he was carrying with him. Nobody's with him. Nobody's with him that are in change at least. And he's, I was in the temple, the very same temple we're talking about. So Paul came back from Damascus, went to Jerusalem, sat in the temple, and was just, he was meditating. He gets into this trance. It's a Greek word, ecstasy. And, I, and Jesus, I saw Jesus saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. What do you think Paul was praying? Here he is in the temple. God, what can I say? Can I stand here and say, hey, everybody, I'm Paul, and I want you to know I had a vision of Jesus. He came to me. So, so, so all those things, right? He's like planning out what he's going to say, and Jesus is like, I need you to leave now. I need you to go right now, Paul, because if you say anything, they're going to grab you and they're going to kill you, I think is what... I think is what was going to happen. Jesus, by the way, sees all things, knows all things. God does. He's omniscient. He's like, you got to go. And I, I want to point out this. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. So it's like, like now. Like, Paul, I need you to actually go now. <laughs> right? Well, Paul's like, oh, Lord, you might have forgotten the fact that I'm actually really qualified to share with these people. Jesus, did you know that I was the one, like, you know, imprisoning people that believe in you? Like, think about, oh, like, I really have a platform to speak into their lives. The answer was he probably did, but the timing wasn't right. And that's what I want to leave you with. The timing was just different. For 20 years, Paul had to wait 
for the moment he's in. Right now in the book of Acts, he argued with them. Jesus doesn't address any of it. In verse 21, he says, depart, you've got to go, and I'm going to send you far from here to the Gentiles. Paul's desire, his, like his greatest desire was to share the gospel with the people of Israel. And yet Jesus is like, not yet, buddy. I got to do another, I got to do work in you. I need you out there. And just the timing was off. We're, we're looking at the time he gets to finally do it. But the timing wasn't right. When Jesus says go, you go, Right? And it's, the, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's what Paul had to do. Lean not on your own understanding and in all of your ways acknowledge or know him. And guess what? He'll direct your paths. That's where Paul was. There are things that God calls us to, things that are on your heart, things that you probably need to be doing that you're not. And there are things that you are doing that God said, no, wait a second. Not yet. Obey him. Trust and obey because somebody said that there's no other way or no better way, right? Trust and obey. That's like really simple. Trust God and then obey his voice. Enjoy the relationship. All of this is a relationship. Your testimony is a relationship with Jesus. Knowing the timing of God is enjoying a relationship with him. Knowing his calling on your life is a relationship with him. Guess what your job is? To know him. That's it. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me and do all these things and then I'll make you. No, follow him. Know him, enjoy him, be close to him. Okay, I'm going to be quiet because we got to be done. And I want to end with worship. You guys go ahead and come up. After this, we're going to do baptism. About 12.50, you know, 1 o'clock, I don't know. However long it takes you guys to move along. And Anyway, we're going to set all this uh, stuff up facing the baptism. We'd invite you to come and be a part of it. We would love that. And we're going to worship, but would encourage you. If there's some business that needs to be dealt with, attended to in your own heart, sin that you need to just say, Lord, here it is. I know you know it already, but I'm confessing what you already know. Do it. Spend that time with the Lord. Let him minister to you and do a work in your heart. After the song, if you guys need anything, we'll be up here if you need prayer or anything like that. And if you're not born again, what are you waiting on? Where else are you going to find such a great salvation? It'll take care of you. You won't find it anywhere else. You get a chance today to do it, right? Today's a day of salvation. Don't wait. You cry out to Jesus. You confess or admit that he is the Lord. Like, and your heart has to agree with this. It's not words. Your heart's got to be there. But you know that he's the king of kings, your master, the one that you bend your knee to. You believe that he is and that he rose from the dead. You know what the Bible says? It says you'll be saved. I'd encourage you, man, do that. Let's pray. Jesus, have your way. Minister by the Holy Spirit. Speak and call your people to yourself. We submit ourselves before you now and ask Holy Spirit to minister to your people. We ask that in the name of Jesus.